Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy Druids in Cars going to festivals. So, so once again, we are not in cars going to festivals. We're now Druids on hikes, walking in circles. Yes. (laughs) We'll be back in a car eventually. But after last year, when we ran out of all of our episode options from the previous year when we were still going to festivals. We're now in a place where we don't have anywhere to go yet since festivals aren't starting at the moment. Um, They might start up sometime this year. I don't know if any are going to be not virtual though. Yeah. We'll find out later on in the year. We know Summerland will be virtual. Um... So, and that's in August, so who knows when we might yeah, actually drive to a festival again. We do intend to drive, though, yes. at some point and at record. At some point. And we did get to record at Anagantios, which is the previous episode, so that was good. Yep. But uh, we're not going to have multi-hour driving for a little while where we can knock out a bunch of episodes all at once. Sounds crazy, but I miss it. So do I. <laughs> But we have a nice forest to walk through, so that's what we're going to do for a little bit. We're going to see what we can get done on our lunch hours, basically. Essentially. (laughs) Trying to wind our way through and get more content. So, today we want to talk about ritual prep, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. How do we prepare for a ritual, both as individuals and as groves, Um, and what's that look like for us. So, I don't know, what do we want to start with? Let's start with stuff. Stuff. How you get all your stuff together. Yeah. That is a good place to start because stuff is, there's a lot of stuff sometimes. Sometimes, and sometimes there's like no stuff. But That is also true. In fact, most of the best rituals I've been to have very little stuff involved at all. But sometimes you need it. Um, Our Dublin Irish Festival ritual, we need stuff because it's very large, it's very production-oriented. Virtual rituals, boy do we need stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Often, I'll start with a checklist. I have a checklist that's on my phone. Mine's not the same every time, so I usually build it from scratch each time I get ready to start a ritual or get ready to go to a ritual. Mine is like heading topics. So like I've got all the stuff that I normally need and then I'll have like offerings times four. Yeah. So that I know that I need a certain number of offerings for 
whatever. Yeah. You've got to have the the right sorts of, uh, of things right now. I usually list them by who I'm offering to, so they can kind of vary stuff up. But it's much easier to count than if you say offering times four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've found a lot of different ways to sort of organize my stuff over the years. So I've had, you know, I have this box in which I keep the whiskey that I offer. Um, which I haven't offered whiskey in a really long time, so I'm not even sure where that box is. Um, and I've got, um, obviously, I need to make sure that I bring my stole and my Druid Whites and all those kinds of things, because I've forgotten those before, and that's fun. Yeah, I definitely have a ritual box, so my checklist just says ritual box plus stole, because my stole isn't always in my ritual box. So you got to remember to go check it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's got my initiate cords, my whites, my stole, my bell branch. Um, it has emergency offerings. <laughs> Always good. Has matches. Um, has a seven-day candle. Yeah. Yeah, my stole bag and my um, sickle case uh, do extra duty as space to store stuff that I know I'll need for every right. So yeah, as long like, as I can remember those. Yeah, I've my stole bag has my omen set and matches in it. Yep. Yeah, I've got a, a tote, a cloth tote that I carry most of my stuff in. Um, and so I roll up my stuff after ritual, pop it in there, and then it's ready for me to go. I just got to grab it Yeah. Um, when I go out the door. And it's got my stole and my sickle and... Um, my whites all in it. Uh, it's not as waterproof as your tote. That's one of the reasons I like my tote, which I specifically got a tote because of camping. Yeah. So that I can just set it like outside my tent if I need to. Yeah. My, my stuff is more compact than yours since it's not in a hard-sided tote, but it's also likely to get wet. It's also likely to have stuff fall out of it. I kind of like your tote idea, honestly. <laughs> I'm just not there. Well, and it's a clear tote, so sometimes they don't, like, I don't have to open it up. I can just look in it. Yep, you can see what's there. Um, so that's all good. We've got a checklist. So we go through the checklist, we figure out what it is that we're going to bring. Um, and then the thing with doing stuff for the Grove is obviously that you've got both more people to manage than just yourself, and you've got all the Grove Ritual supplies, too. Yes. And that's a whole different thing box that gets, of stuff. Thing that gets carefully tetris into my car. Yes. <laughs> and I used to keep it with my stuff. And then uh, a couple of years ago, um, it, it moved, it migrated to your house. I don't remember exactly why that was. It's been more than a couple of years. It, it has. But I'm also not complaining about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I mean, I have a spot for it in my garage now that what am I doing else with that spot? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so with the Grove Ritual stuff, there's a lot of stuff that I have to make sure is cleaned or refilled. Yep, because we have all those cups that we pass out, the little metal cups that are reusable. We used to give out disposable cups, but it's just not environmentally friendly. So Yeah, and those are for the, the waters of life, the return flow blessing. Yep. And so sometimes I'll have like 50 to 100 shot glasses, <laughs> essentially, to yep. wash. The cool thing, though, with the way that we pack them 
is we have essentially reversible zippered pouches for the uh, for the the cups, so that when we use them all, we can put the dirty ones and reverse the. <laughs> yeah, so I know which ones to wash. Exactly, so you don't have to wash them all every time. Um, which I discovered on accident one day that we could do that, and I was very, very pleased. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to refill offerings. So, like, we offer steel-cut oats yeah. as, like, the main thing a lot of times. Yeah, and the reason that we do that is because steel-cut oats can't germinate, so you can't end up with, you know, oat plants growing up at your offering site. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I have to refill those. Um, when we're doing pre-pandemic... It was a canister of steel-cut oats for every right. Yeah. Um, now it's less because we're offering smaller amounts in our smaller spaces. Yes. Yeah, and not everyone is using the the Grove communal offerings either. Some right. people will have offerings at home that they will make. So that has spread out the, the time as well, I think. Yeah. Keeping track of how much oil we have is another one. Yeah. Um, I've found it very spiritually fulfilling to care for all of the Grove stuff. Like, it's its own special layer of, like, between high days. It is nice. I've always enjoyed it as well. Keeping ritual stuff has always been a thing that I like. We've got our ancestor box. Which also lives at my house right now. Yep. Um, when we had, for a long time, I was holding on to the Unity Cauldron for ADF, and that was also quite lovely. Um, lived with me for about, I don't know, a year or two. Um, and it was nice to do small improvements to what we were providing to the groves. Like, we put in... Are you uh, responsible for the plastic like case? That. I am responsible for the plastic case. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Well, our growth is. I'm not sure that it was me necessarily. Um, I probably didn't purchase it, but uh, I, I do know that our grove stuck it in there so that we would be able to actually ship it. <laughs> right, without everything just rattling around inside the uh, cauldron. Yeah. But, yeah. That's been, that's been fun. And it is a little bit different. As you said, during a pandemic, doing those checklists and making sure that we have all the things that we need because we're not all together. Um, and more to the point, we've all got extraneous tech as well. Yeah. Um, some of us more than others. Some of us more than <laughs> others. I have a lot of tech at Ritual these days. Um, and... When we set up for Imbolc, we ended up with two cameras streaming at the same time <laughs> um, to, to provide uh, a second view of what we were doing so that we could get the folk closer um, while we read the poem and lit the candles. And doing those little slightly more complicated but also slightly um, more immersive things has been good, I think. Yeah, I think it's been worth it to do. Definitely. But And we're going to see how it all goes uh, this month at Kudios when we do our, our rain moon. 
ritual because we will be hybrid hybrid and that's a new experience for us we'll have some people on site and then everyone else will likely be remote for our druid moon and that's kind of our dry run for belton yeah so so speaking of kudios yeah one of the things that we had to prepare was to make sure that the location that we have for that right was available and accessible <laughs> and accessible so I think could, could we actually go inside and use the bathrooms, for example? Yes. <laughs> so um, when you're prepping, especially for a public right, uh, like a group right, is making sure that you have a location to do it at. Yes. Um, which for us in pre-pandemic times required planning a year in advance. Yes, because our sites would be gone if we didn't. They would be already reserved. Yes. Um, and honestly, now, since that site has been gone for the last year, um, we're still not sure we have a site for Belten, but at least we have a reservation for it, should they still be open. It has not been canceled yet, so... I call that a good thing. I am hopeful. <laughs> um, but yeah, making sure that you've got all the amenities that you need at your space is important. Um, I know right now, uh, our Metro Park space, where we'll be doing Belten and stuff, has... Um, uh, Wi-Fi. Well, when I reserved that space, yeah. because I knew that it was going to be our first one back from doing all virtual, um, I picked a site that had a kitchen, which means we have multiple hand-washing stations. Yes. It has Wi-Fi. Um, it's got indoor-outdoor, like, shelter plus fire pit. Um, yeah. Yeah, one of the things with the Wi-Fi is I'm never quite sure that it's actually going to work, so I've always got a backup of being able to hotspot my phone. Yeah. Um, especially now, where you just never know. And when we started talking about Summerland, um, when we started thinking about whether we would be on-site or not, and now we know we won't be, um, one of the big concerns was, can we stream from a 4-H camp in the middle of a gorge? Right. <laughs> and I don't know that we can. Um, the signal down there is pretty terrible, whether you've got, I mean, they don't have Wi-Fi down there, and um, the the 4G, 5G signal down there is <laughs> the practically The cell is a spotty, yeah. So trying to figure that piece out, too, is going to be another concern as we move forward into that hybrid opening um, yeah. when festivals come up. So understanding and, and having gone to the site, we know that, but if we hadn't been to the site, we wouldn't know that, and we'd just kind of be... Guessing. Yeah, I think on an individual level, it's still important to think about. Um, yes. When I do solitary work and do it outside, I don't want to be interrupted. Right. So it's important to find a spot that is secluded enough that you're not going to have like random passerbys being like, why are you sitting in the middle of the woods? in front of a candle like <laughs> <laughs> why are you being a fire hazard out here yeah well at the 4-H camp back when I was uh, being ordained back in I think 2006 consecrated probably back in 2006 um, we did my my pre ritual work and we were in view of the the, um, the path down in the gorge and so while we were doing it, there were people hanging out down there shouting up at us. So <laughs> that was entertaining. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's important to kind of know what your space is and who might show up, <laughs> if anybody. Yeah, um, even inside, I like to plan for times when my kids aren't like at their prime crazy. <laughs> yes, and you know what times those are yeah. if you hang out with them enough. Um, yeah, I have, I have kind of the same thing. I mean, I at the moment, our neighborhood is both nature preserve and construction zone. Um, and so I have to, if I'm going to go record or I'm going to do ritual or something like that, I try and avoid times when someone's out, you know, roofing and shooting nails into a roof with a roofing gun. Yep. Um, so, yeah, planning the time is also important. Now... One of the other things that I think is important to talk about is um, how we prepare ourselves mm -hmm. for ritual. And for me, in a lot of ways, that whole process of going through the checklist and, and all that is, is part of that. It's actually become an integral part of it for me um, because that is part of how I prepare myself for ritual. But I also prepare myself for ritual in less mundane ways by, you know, washing up and um, doing, you know, I, I don't show up to ritual without having taken a shower first, <laughs> as, as a really simple example. Um, but a lot of that kind of cleansing work, I think, is important. Yeah, I always make sure I at least wash my face and my hands before a ritual. Um, if I have time, I'll take a full shower, but I typically shower at night, so that's really weird for me. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing that I do as, like, cleansing mm -hmm. is I'm always low-tech on the days that ritual are. Yeah. So, like, normally when I would be checking Facebook in the morning, probably for longer than I should be, um, I am not on ritual days. Yeah. It's much more of a... If I need to check, like, the location of our right, I'll get online and I'll find it. Yeah. But I'm not um, socializing online as much. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate for me as well. Um, some of that has changed a little bit with pandemic because everything is online and I've, I have to check in from time to time yeah. and make sure that everyone knows where they're going and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's definitely been more of a conscious decision yeah. on my part rather than just a happenstance. It started as a happenstance, and then I was like, oh, this is useful to me. Yes. Those are all good things. Sometimes when prepping, too, we, we think about the actual ritual itself and the kinds of things that we study and what we write up. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times... When the pandemic started, we started fully scripting ritual. And that's kind of where we are right now, is we get full ritual scripts, um, which is kind of nice. People can read. They're already looking at their screen. So yeah. <laughs> they can pull it up and read it. So it's, it's kind of nice to be able to, to read off of the screen and, and have that in front of you. But the other really neat thing that I like about it is that um, because the ritual script is written by someone... Um, I get to kind of, I, I get to honor their work by reading their words, which I really like. Um, I haven't had the chance to do that in a really long time because we hadn't been scripting. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the work that the folk do. So when I get the chance to read it, I like reading it. I really like it from a preparation standpoint. So like normally when I'm preparing for a ritual, I will do some research about who are these spirits that we're honoring, which for me mostly includes reading various hymns or primary sources that I can find. Yeah. Um, But what I really like about script writing is that then you can very consciously take that imagery and modify it into the script. Yes. Um, Much more, I think, than you could just off the cuff. Yeah, I agree with that. I I like being able to do that. Um, It used to be... It's it's less laborious to internalize the work through memorization, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is often what I do and what I have done. What Um, I've done before is I would still write my part Yes. And then put it in my back pocket during the ritual. <laughs> so, like, if I freaked out and, like, totally drew a blank, I could be like, okay, I have my crutch. <laughs> the nice thing about crutches is that it turns out that when you have them, you don't usually need them. Right. <laughs> so, so, I would still write it, and I would definitely still read it enough times that I knew the important points that I wanted to hit or the important images I wanted to convey. But... I kind of like having a full script. I don't know that we'll continue doing it. I don't know either. I mean, it's it's nice, particularly from a accessibility standpoint, especially when you're online, um, because then people can read along. If their connection drops, they've still got something. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we'll continue it or not. I kind of hope that we at least have something. Yeah. Um, the way that we've described the interaction with the script is that um, we're going to say something like this. We may not say exactly this, but this mm-hmm. is the gist of what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's going to remain true. If we do continue to write scripts, I think that'll be, that'll be the key, is that this is kind of what it looks like. One of the nice things about writing scripts, too, um, at least from a Grove standpoint, is that the ritual is much more through-written. Yes. Um, versus when everyone is doing their own part off the cuff without having heard anyone else's before. Yes. So we can draw in similar imagery throughout the entirety of it. Yeah. Which I think is really good for cohesiveness and for, like, immersion into the spiritual experience. Yes. And I think it also helps people gain some confidence. When they can look at somebody else's writing and sort of crib the imagery from it, it makes it a whole lot less daunting to write a full ritual. Well, and I think that's really useful if you're doing your own personal ritual work, if you're doing solitary work. Yes. Even if you're not writing your own script, if you're working off someone else's, it still, it gives you that confidence to throw in your own pieces when you're ready. Yeah, it does. And there's nothing wrong with working from somebody else's script. It's actually remarkably useful. I wouldn't write so many scripts for other people if I didn't think it was useful. <laughs> also true. I mean, that's part of the reason that I wrote the, the Crane Breviary is there were no scripts for Moon Rites. There certainly wasn't a, a cohesive set of rituals for a whole year for anything. That's why we wrote The Hearthkeeper's Way mm-hmm. was because it's nice to have a cohesive set of ritual scripts that you can fall back on. Yes. Or learn from. Yep. Or, you know, 
say you don't, I don't know, you, you don't like writing the statement of purpose, for example. <laughs> just picking on me. You can just <laughs> grab one from the Hearthkeeper's work or from someone else's work, and that's okay. It helps you prepare, it helps you get into the, the mood. Helps you avoid the parts that you don't like doing. It does. It's a crutch, <laughs> you know? But sometimes, eventually, you don't need the crutch, even if you think you do. Thanks for listening, and there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsandcars at threecranes.org. If you'd like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Our theme song's lyrics were written by Arthur Shipkowski, and the music is written and recorded by Mike Beershank. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org, and more about druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes, and let us pray with a good fire.